Hi, welcome to Life Struggles. On this show, we interview or just chat with people who have mental and physical health issues, addictions, relationship problems, and anything else that life may bring you as a struggle. We give hope and our own advice to others from our own achievements. Our goal is for you not to feel alone in your struggle. Our guests range from actors, authors, professionals, and ordinary people like me. At the end of this podcast, if you would please hit our bell, that little bell up there, so that you will be notified of any new episodes that drop. And also, if you would give us a rating, we would deeply appreciate it. And now, please help me in welcoming our next guest. Hi, this is Christy with Life Struggles. And today I have a special guest that I'm super excited to hear all about what he has done with his recovery. His name is Jay, and I'd like you to help me welcome him. Hi, Jay. Hi, Christy. How are you doing? I'm great. I'm great. How are you? I'm great. It's certainly cold in Canada, though. Are you guys getting cold out there? Unfortunately, yes. Mm, I mean, it's going to (laughs) be... I mean, I'm Chicago area. You know, we've got the oh, yeah. the uh, all the wind every day, lots yeah. of it, and that makes it twice as cold off the lake. So yes, same deal here. Lake of the Woods, Ontario, cold. Northwestern but it's Ontario. It's beautiful in the summer, huh? Ah, it's you know, it's actually perception in the mind. It kind of you know, it's it's just you know, we're going to talk about recovery because of my recovery and stuff, and and it's just perception in the mind and the mindset, right? So. Winter is a, is a beautiful thing too, right? I mean, it you know, because you go in the summer, oh, it's too hot, it's plus 30. And then you're like, I wish it was cooler. And then it's winter and you're like, it's too cold. Um, Never too hot for me. Yeah, it's just percent. I mean, it only gets to you know, plus 40 here. So, I mean, it, it probably gets hotter that way. But but it's always perception in the mind and, and the mindset and, and how you how you really look at everything in life, right? Like, it's just how is your mindset? Where is your mindset? Are you in tune with yourself? Um, and those are the things that I've taught myself over since I got into recovery, February 11th, 2008. So it's almost been 15 years, February 11th, uh, 2023 will be 15 years. That's fantastic. Um, just another question about your, your weather and, you know, you're saying this mindset thing, but it's been proven fact that like, and, and I'm not sure about Canada, you said you're on the same time frame as us, but the sun is different there than here, whether it's closer, or farther away, I don't know, haven't looked it up. But what time does it get dark there? And how long is it dark there? Uh, it's pitch black right now. <laughs> so, so it, it was, time you know, is this? well, like in the wintertime, it'll start around five. Okay. And right. then and is then... it? light about again about six eight o'clock eight in the morning ish seven thirty-eight. Okay. yeah so you know there's there's states like alaska that that at times of the year there it's all dark and yeah and the and yellow knife too i used to live in yellow knife six months out of the year it was completely okay and if you look up the stats on 
those states and countries, their suicide rate is high. Absolutely, and, because of the and that's and not even a perception of mind. That's they're not getting enough sunlight to even give them energy, you know, vitamins or anything. Um, and it's depressing. Yeah. It's yeah, depressing. 100%. So, um, yeah, I, I would not want to live there. It is, I, you know, Yellowknife is beautiful. It was a beautiful place, but it, you know, you're right on the, um, I mean, I was an active using back then, so I, I was a mess either way. Um, but, yeah. uh, so I, I didn't know, like it was every day was the same to me, but, um, if I, if I'm sitting here thinking about it, you know, I, it was like, I was duller. Like mm -hmm. I just, I did, I was just, I felt duller, but, but like I said, I was an active addiction. So I was already dull anyway. I was killing everything around me. So it didn't really matter. I didn't think about that though, but I mean, no. I can like get up and, uh, just, I don't know, kind of feel like, oh, I don't feel like doing anything today. And if it's sunny out, I can go sit outside for 10 minutes and I feel better. I'm like, okay, ready to go. Absolutely. You're, you're like absolutely right. Yep. So, okay. So where would we like to start? Would you like to tell me about um, how you got to where you are today? Or do you want to just start where you are today and what you're doing? Yeah, sure. I'll tell you a little bit about where I, I mean, I, I, I don't want to say everybody's story is the same, but all of us have an addiction of some sort. Um, sure. You know, that's just the truth. And uh, all of us, um, to a certain degree, run away from ourselves. We put masks on, we hide, we have trauma from childhood. We um, don't want to be ourselves. We, you know, we'll say we're lonely, you know, because we need somebody else with us because we don't want to be with ourselves. That was my biggest problem. I, I never... <clears throat> I didn't know how to be, be with myself. And so I was, no, not at all. I didn't, I didn't uh, like who I was. I went through a name change. I was Jay, I was born Jay Corey. Uh, then I got a name change at around 10 years old to Jay Barnard. Uh, so then I fought the identity crisis. Who am I? I failed grade three. Jay Corey went back to grade three, Jay Barnard. So I was just always. How are you able to, I'm sorry. How are you able to do that? Well, my parents got married in the summer of after school. So when school got, and then my, my parent, my, my stepdad uh, adopted and changed the name. So my mom went with his name, which then he changed, then they changed my name. So it happened all over the course of a. So it wasn't your choice. No, I was 10 years old. I had no choice in the matter. Um, but at the end of the day, um, that's, you know, so that, that, that's, that's an age where you're going through, you start going through all that stuff. You know, it's earlier and earlier now. I know it used to be about 12, 11, 12, you know, when your hormones are starting to change and you kind of, nobody knows who they are and trying to find themselves. And I don't know, junior, junior high is a difficult yeah. age, um, but I've seen it starting earlier now. Yeah, it definitely. I mean, I have a I have a beautiful daughter who's turning seven on uh, the twenty sixth. Who I'll talk about in a bit. Um, seven and going on twenty. Uh, uh, yeah, pretty much. But you know, <laughs> she's my only daughter, so I love her to death. I have a uh, she has a sister um, that 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 I love to death too. But she, Destiny is my real daughter. Okay. Uh, but yeah, I I, I just uh, I didn't know who I was, and then. Um, you know, the first addiction I found was food. And that's how I killed pain. Uh, I would just gorge. And, and I didn't know why I couldn't stop. And then I would get I'd make myself sick. 
Um, <clears throat> so that's how I oh, dealt on with purpose? On purpose, you would make yourself eight, sick, eight, or eight. you just got sick from eating too much? Yeah, I just ate, 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 and then I was like, I need to eat more, but I can't, so I'll get sick, and then I'll just eat more. And you know what I mean? So I forced myself sometimes to get sick. Other times, I'd just eat too much and get sick. Um, so it, it was, it was, it was definitely a painkiller for me. Um, and then that wore off and I found porn and got addicted to porn. Um, not a lot of people like to talk about porn. Uh, it has to be out there cause it's probably one of the biggest addictions in the world. Yeah, let's uh, do talk about that because I have not had anybody yet that I, you're right. They don't like to talk about that, but there's a lot of it out there. Oh yeah. It's, it's, it's anyway, if you go to the, it's on your phone, you can go to the bathroom in the restaurant, watch porn. You can, I, you can do anything. It's there. It's, it's the, and back, I mean, back when I got addicted, it was VHS tapes and I found them in my stepdad's room and I wondered what this was. And then I saw it and then I was like, okay, what's, and then I got, so what it did is you get magazines too. Oh yeah. I met, I didn't have those. He didn't, I I found in my stepdad's room. So I never saw magazines, but there was magazines. So it was just, it was just the VHS tapes. But he didn't have magazines. It just rolled me into this, uh, different perception of life so when I was watching I didn't have to worry about life so I didn't and then what happened was how I treated women once I started getting into relationships didn't work because <laughs> it was like I was trying to be something that I wasn't and which isn't real on tv or on a tape or in a bed whatever um but <clears throat> that's what I tried to do in order to run away from myself and, and not understand who I am. So I just got addicted to that. And to, to switch the mind off of everything that's going on, I'll just watch this. And that's, you just, you get lost inside that, that world. Did that turned into a sex addiction. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Once I got, uh, once I got older, um, mm-hmm. I, I, it did. And then once I got obviously into my uh, active, active addiction past 13 it really became an issue because I became a drug dealer so then I started leveraging drugs with women and then I was able to get whatever I want because it was a power thing um and then I just that I I had everything I wanted because I had the drugs I didn't have to be Jay as drug dealer drunk Jay so I didn't have to be Jay Corey I didn't have to be Jay Barnard I didn't have to be Jay the porno guy I I just I could hide all these things but yet I could still get all the things I wanted because I had the power of being a drug dealer um so I was popular because I had drugs and booze all the time and money. Uh, so I wasn't that nerd, that loser, that fat kid that they called me when I was younger. The last kid picked on the team. Nobody wanted to be around me, all that stuff. So I was able to be this different <clears throat> persona and and never really sit with who I really was because I didn't know who I really was. Um, you know, so that, that, that breaks my heart when you say the fat kid and I... I remember back when I was in um, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. I, my dad's side of the family was all tall and lean. That's just the genes. Okay, um, I ate very well, but I was always super skinny, and I, I did not. Have you ever heard of Quiggy? Quiggy. Twiggy. No. Female Twiggy. Um, I hadn't either. But the the guys in my class that were on the on the basketball team and I was a cheerleader were they they would go by me and and uh call me Twiggy. 
Does that mean really thin? Well, I guess so. But Twiggy, uh, you know, I I didn't I didn't um, want to go home and tell my parents that I was being made fun of. Yeah. Um, and the only reason I knew that it was being made fun of because they would say it in a mocking way and then laugh and walk walk off. And finally, it was actually my dad that noticed when I came home after a game because I was, like I said, a cheerleader. And uh, he he said, what's going on with you? And I said, what do you mean? And he said, I don't know. You seem like you don't like to be at school anymore or at the sports. And I'm like, so I finally told him, you know, these boys kept calling me Twiggy. And I don't know what that means, except that it's not good. And my mom was standing there in the kitchen and she heard that. And she said, what? And she came in and she said, do, do you know who Twiggy is? And I had no idea. She, it, was, it was a model way back when. And uh, she was very thin. But she was a very, very talented, top-notch model. Oh, there changes the deception. <laughs> yeah, and so my so my dad said. So the next time they call you Twiggy, after my mom explained that, he said, "You say thank you," and that's it. And he said, and "I bet you they stop." But I can remember for you know two years being so sad. Yeah, and and even my aunts my mom's sisters when they saw me um, would say you need to start eating like you know and my mom would be there my dad you know they'd say she eats like she's supposed to and she loves food but I had that gene yeah and then they'd say like, well you like know I had the gene yeah it just wouldn't I would just get the bit. opposite but it wasn't anything I was doing on purpose no but anyway and I remember too like my whole entire like through grade school, I didn't wear a pair of jeans till I was in grade seven. Like I wore sweats, like mm. sweats right on through. Cause I, you know, I, I was big. So because I was big, I'm, I'm, I, they just always, I'd always wore sweats. And then when the divorce happened, my dad disowned me. So then the father figure left, but thankfully enough, my grandfather was my, was my, my dad. Um, your but it wasn't like my grandfather. Yeah. Like my, my mom's dad, my grandfather. Yeah. Your grandfather. Um, but, so your uh, dad just up and left? Uh well it was it was like we were seeing him every every week, then it was every, every second week, or... then every third week, and then every fourth week. He was in active addiction. He had an alcoholic and a drug problem. And and then one night he was just all messed up and said, I don't want the kids anymore. I disowned them. And then that's where the name change came. Um from Jay Core to Jay Barnard. And they gave and, up his parental <laughs> rights. Yeah, yeah, at that age at uh yeah, that all happened around nine, eight, nine, ten, somewhere in there. Um, and then he came back into my life when I was fifteen, and it was all straight drug dealing. He, me, and him—that's what it was. There was no love. There was no nothing. We got hammered, and he held the drugs for me, and that was the relationship. Um, that's how that was for that period of time. Uh, my my rock bottom. Um, 2005 I, I tried committing suicide back-to-back -back times so um, what how old were you then it's 25 25 yeah okay. I, I tried in 25 I, I didn't purposely try in in 1995 I, I was running a whole bunch of open water on my snow machine all high 
um, and I, water splashed up and my snow machine sunk and I fell in frigid cold water and, and oh my gosh. died for a minute and a half. Now, I wasn't trying to um, kill myself. <laughs> then it just almost happened. It did happen. It was a minute and a half. It, it was the first time I ever saw the light coming super fast. And I woke up in the hospital, told my mom I didn't want to die. Uh, I don't remember them pulling me up on the life raft. I don't remember going into, I was, I was just dead. And, and it was, so that was the first encounter with death. And then that's. Uh, that wasn't enough, huh? It, it amazes me how many people go through two or three times of that and it's still not enough but i guess it's well, just in 2005 it was just it was it, or yeah i was 25 2005 it, it was at that point in my life uh i I'd done very well in mlm <clears throat> i've always been in mlm i love network marketing i love networking i love connecting i love making friendships that's what i love doing uh, so I've always, and I've done really well at it. I did really well as top sales guy for, for a couple of years in a row in the company I was with, and, but my active addiction got the best of me every single time. And my addiction to women, my addiction to booze, crack, cocaine, anything I could get. Um, so what was that final thing? I, I just, I made a conscious decision that I just didn't want to live. And I was just, I just, there's nothing to live for anymore. Like I, I don't, I don't have a desire to live. Um, and I had lost the business that I had with my partner that, you know, we were in Hamilton, Ontario. We got promoted out to Barry, rising above vendors everywhere. And uh, yeah, we, we lost that. And, and then I just really had no purpose of living and I fell far, far into my addiction. Uh, and I, this, this girl I met at the bar, I, I took, 13 green pills I snorted one and the girl that I was seeing at the time that I abused uh, found me in a pile of black puke barely breathing she hadn't seen me in two weeks she showed up out of nowhere at midnight I was on the doorstep so they rushed me to uh, the hospital and I got charcoal and they brought me back to life now when you've made so when you make that conscious decision though that you know what I'm done And, and I was like the day before I actually did it, I was the happiest I'd ever been in my life because I had accepted the fact that I was going to do what I was going to do the next day. Mm-hmm. Waking up in the hospital and and that not happening. Oh, and that must have been torturous because then you have all the stuff, the side effects and everything from coming off of it. It wasn't even the same as my mind. I was, uh, I didn't know how to like I, I I felt like a complete failure already, but now it's like I'm a complete failure because I can't even kill can't myself. Kill myself. And uh, then I was like, I have nothing left in the tank. I have nothing left in the tank. I'm 25. I have nothing. My family barely talks to me. I don't know how to have a relationship. I don't have a relationship with myself. I abuse women because of all this stuff. I have tons of this going on. I, I I have no money. I'm running from the cops. I'm I'm hiding. So they let me out three days later and I went and got an ounce of crack and a 60 year eye and tried hanging myself. Oh my goodness. And, uh, that failed too. I, yeah. I, I kept trying and, and, and I, I couldn't, I'd put my head in and I just, the chair wouldn't let go. And then I ended up turning myself in to the Barry police and doing a, a year in penitent penitentiary. I was yelling in the court office. Do you sure you want to do this? I was just a mess. Turn yourself in for uh, what? 
Uh, driving while under suspension for the fifth time. So they were looking for you, and that, is oh, that what you mean by turning yourself in? Uh, well, they weren't looking for me. I was on like bail, but I was like, I don't. You know, I I was like, well, the only place I'll probably survive is if I go to jail. Okay. And the state I was in after trying to kill myself, then three days later trying to hang myself, and now I'm like, the only place I can go is jail. So I physically went and turned myself in before my court date. All messed up. I have a up. question for you. Um, when you go to jail like that, do they help you come down off of drugs? But some people can die if, yeah. what depending on what they're taking. Yeah, I, I, I was in rough shape for 30 days. In there to shake it. It was complete hell. And they don't give you anything for that? I bet you they do today, though. Uh, no, no. So they they might, but we'll talk about that because I've tried to get hyper recovery coaching into the jail system, which is uh, the program I built. But uh, and then I got I got out of jail and the cycle just kept continuing. I ended up getting busted two times with possession of the purpose of trafficking cocaine with the intent. So I had five possessions of the purpose of trafficking cocaine by the time I was 27. Um, and uh, January 7th. 2008 was the last time I got busted and the last time I had a drink uh I haven't had a drink since January 7th 2008 um and I was looking at five years I was looking at five years and uh, I was basically just gonna be in jail and then Wednesday came for bail and the judge was sick and they gave me they gave me bail with a whack of conditions uh, I had a bracelet. I had to sign in. And I was like, yeah, I did it again. <laughs> right? Because I'm, I'm messing the system. I All I need to do is I just got to beat the system. That's it. I just got to beat the system. And if I can beat the system, I have a chance that I got a chance of killing myself. I just got to beat the system. Um, I do have one question for you, if I can interrupt you. In all this time that you were doing these things, what was your mother and your stepfather doing? Uh, well, my mother enabled me uh, because of the guilt she had with my father. My stepfather uh -huh. and I never really had a relationship. Um, we still don't to this day. I mean, he called me a couple of weeks ago to tell me that his mom passed away and stuff. Like, so he knows he can call me. We just don't talk to each other. Um, I, I haven't talked to my, re my, my real dad in 10 years. Uh, we live in the same city. He's never met my daughter. Um do you see him? Like, do you see him? I, oh, yeah, I see him. Yeah. We just don't talk. Just how it is. Um, I, I accepted the fact. So, so I get into January 7th, and then, you know, they tell me to go to a counselor, all this stuff. Uh, and then she says to me, hey, Jay, I think there's one There's one house left on the block as treatment. I, I don't think you're going to succeed, but, you know, it's God-driven. I think you should go there. Gee, that's a nice thing to say. Well, I'm like you know, why would you send me somewhere where I'm not, you know, I'm a big failure. Why are you going to send me somewhere? Right. But what I realized then is that she was planting the seed. I needed a seed planted so that I could show somebody that I could do something because I had no belief in myself. That's how she got the belief. That's how I saw belief from her. She had a belief in me because she thought I was going to fail. So I had to prove her wrong, even though I didn't want to go, even though I, all that stuff. And I was like, why are you doing it? But so through all this time in recovery, um, that little inkling of a seed was the fact that I had to prove her wrong. 
but it was different because I had to prove it to myself. Um, but she had started the motion because I didn't believe in myself. I didn't even know who I was. That was the inkling in my mind that she believed in me. No, I kind of disagree with somebody saying something like that um, because it could go the opposite way. It could. And she rolled the dice on it for you. Yeah, it worked. And me and her talk and she said, Jay, I would never, I I, I never talked to people like I talked to you, but you needed to hear it that way. Fair enough. Um, I get it today. I sure didn't get it back 15 years ago. Uh, but I understand what she was trying to do. Nobody could get through to me. Uh, like that was, nobody could get through to me. It, it, that's how it was. And that's how she got through to me. And so February 11th, 2008 was when I started the journey. The last time I used was on the 10th. And uh, I went to Ottawa, Ontario to the Anchorage Boost Center at the Salvation Army. And uh, <laughs> I'd never gone to treatment. So, so I didn't know what treatment was, right? Like I thought I was just take a bunch of pills, sleep for four months. I, I never thought I was going to get a burger again. I didn't know what they fed you. I thought it was like... So I, you know, get off the plane, I go to Harvey's, I pack in burgers because I don't know if I'm going to have a burger. I get, <laughs> I don't know these things that are going to happen to me because I've never done this. And um, the cab driver drops me off. He goes, oh, it's over there. And I'm walking over to this place. And all these people are asking me, do you want crack? Do you want cocaine? Do you want weed? I'm like, where am I? I thought I was going to treatment. And I'm like, how am I going to, like, right away, like, I was like, she's right. I'm going to fail. Like, that's what I said to my setting you up for failure huh right so i go in and uh i said i'm here for treatment oh they're like this is the uh this is the shelter i was like oh thank god because i got asked like you know by this point i'm vibing because it's been almost you know a day since i used like you know a 12-hour span and uh, they're like oh it's just down the street down the street to me is like a couple blocks that's what i thought literally it was next door i'm like how am I going to anyway? So I go in, you know, and they ask me, have you used? No, no, I haven't used right. Denial. Uh, and then they P test and say, <laughs> yes, I used. Um, and uh, they're like, you're going to have to go spend 72 hours next door and dry out. <laughs> I, I can't, I'm not going to make it. I'm not coming back here. If you send me over there, like I, I like you send me over to the shelter. The first person I see with this little bit of money in my pocket, I'm going to start smoking crack and this cycle is going to start again. And it's game over. Uh, I'm in a new place. So it's a free for all now. Um, No, that's how the places here used to be. You had, I I think you had to have over 24 hours of not testing anything before they would let you come in. And I was like, I honestly didn't hear that. And and, and maybe I did, because I was a mess. Those, that last 30 days, I used as much drugs as I could possibly use. Uh, And I, they obviously said it on the phone. I just never heard it. Um, and so the chaplain said, well, you know, maybe he didn't hear it. Let's give him a chance. So all through my life, I've had different times in my life where people said, hey, let's give him a chance. Hey, let's, we see something. Even Judge Frazier, the judge, before, you know, a couple times before I went to treatment, you know, Jay, you're in the fork in your life. You can go this way or you can go this way. You're a really good guy. You're a cook. You're going to be somebody. You're going to go somewhere. You can do this. Where did I go? That way. Um, so I had all these different times in my life where chances came in and chances and chance, which are opportunities. I didn't know what to do with opportunity. 
Um, it, it was one of those things that I was very scared of. I had a lot of fear, false evidence appearing real. I had a whole bunch of stories built inside my head around opportunity, which wasn't true. Um, and so that's that's when the journey started. It was February 11th, 2008. Uh, I haven't had a single anything since then, complete abstinence. So how long and, in the recovery center? Uh, so it was a four-month program, and I ended up staying an extra month and a half. I didn't, uh, I didn't like the fact that they said graduation because I didn't understand. I was like, "How am I graduating from a treatment? Am I graduating to be a bigger drug dealer, or a bigger addict, or a bigger alcoholic, or like what's graduate? How do I graduate? What would you mean graduation?" Because in my mind, graduation meant I'm going to get drunk, I'm going to use, I'm going to mess up, I'm going to get with a lot of like, so that's the, where your mind was still well the words right so recovery has to be a change of your perception of words and how you, you use things to me graduation meant that at that point in my life mm-hmm. so I said I'm not leaving I got to stay here I'm going to go mess up and at that point they're like okay Jay and I said I need to find a word in the dictionary that makes sense to me for this for me to leave and so what I, was that word transitioning I was transitioning myself into society. I was transitioning myself into getting to know myself, doing laundry, getting a job, paying bills, uh, $66,000 in unpaid fines, trying to get my life license back, uh, learning how to live, learning how to eat. So I was transitioning into this new person, which then I could harness and understand, okay, that's what I'm doing. I'm literally transitioning into this new, I'm not graduating from anything. Cause if I'm graduating, I'm just going to walk to the liquor store over there, the drug dealer next door and go get messed up. But if I'm transitioning, I can walk up and down these streets by these people because that's what I'm doing. I was like, Holy cow, man, that's pretty, that's a good word, Jay. Um, yes. And so I held on to it and then I moved into sober living uh, into the, I love that. The, so, up until a year ago, I did not know there were sober, sober living houses because we didn't have them around here. But it's only because that's not my world. So I just never heard of them. Come to find out when I started podcasting and I was starting to look for sponsors near me, there was all kinds of sober houses. Yeah, second okay. stage they were called back then too. Second stage, so you'd go from first stage to second stage sober living, uh, which was a liberty. I've, I've interviewed um, a couple people that, after five years, they're still living in sober houses because they love it. Yeah, they have, some... to pay, they have to pay rent and all that, but yeah. they just really like the environment. And I, I guess it depends on. Um, you should listen to Brian the Kid. Have you heard his podcast before? It's oh. it's hell's an exit. Oh. He's from Florida. And um all he does is interview addicts in Florida. Okay. And I don't mean that as a minute thing, you know, that it's a little thing because Florida's a big state. Yep. Um now he anyway, long story short. Obviously, he was an addict, and he. This is what he chose to do with his life. He's got now, um, and I don't want to mess this up. It's been a while since I've interviewed him, but I believe there's four centers, um, recovery centers, and he opened those up, and then three and three, so six sober houses. And 
He's got some in Florida and some in California. Nice. So he goes back and forth. But his, and, and I want to know if this is something that you went into, because I thought it was a really good idea. Um, the sober houses that he has, or I'm sorry, the recovery centers, have basketball gyms, swimming pools, indoor swimming pools, all this stuff. And I said, wow, that sounds like a vacation. And he said, you have to understand an addict, but an addict needs to be busy. And he said, anyway, in my mind, I always had to be busy to not do start this stinking thinking or, you know, want to go use or whatever. So he said, um, that's that's what I give them is something to do all the time in between meetings you know and workshops and whatever so do any do you have any of those around you like that so my my stuff is my my stuff was traditional <clears throat> so you talk 12 steps a and a that's obviously have that I, too yeah right. that's where i started off and I, I did go to the gym and swim i still go to the gym um everybody that's a recovering addict goes to the gym that's one of their biggest things well it's good for the mind it's it's really it good is. It is. I go to the gym and, and I feel great. Exactly. Uh, same way. Right. And uh, I started going to, I, I kept going all the way through, even when I went to, when I was in sober, uh, in the Liberty house, which uh, a mentor there who I still speak to today, he's got over 30 years. Uh, he taught me a different way. I was still going to AA and NA. Uh, I went to AA for a year and I, I did the 12 steps, had a sponsor came out of there just you know I, I still didn't know who Jay was like you know my name's only three letters how come I don't know the letter J I understood powerlessness understood unmanageability understood higher power understood inventory character defects understood I, I didn't understand you know making an amends so I should be making an amends to myself before I make an amends to anybody else. I shouldn't be running to my mom and saying, mom, I'm sorry for all the stuff that I did to you. Because if my mom says no, that's going to give me an excuse to go use. And, and so I go on a relapse. So anyways, um, I then went into NA and, and did the NA program, which is the same program as AA, same 12 steps, just different language. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and came out of there in year two going, how come I still don't know Jay yet? Um, and I didn't know Jay. I didn't know who Jay was. Um, and then I was introduced to a relationship coach. Uh, and it was the first time in my life I, I did coaching. Um, and I, I never understood coaching. Uh, I, I, I thought, like, mm, you want me to pay you money for you to tell me something or help me with something? That seems like <laughs> you're taking me for something, right? That's what I thought. Um, and uh, as, I, as I'm working through that, I'm like, Holy cow, you spent $10 million on drugs and stuff for over 20 years. Like, you know, it was a thousand bucks. That relationship coach, when I put in the interest in the investment into myself, was completely different. I was hanging on every word she was saying. I was a sponge. I wanted to know everything. I wanted to learn everything. I needed to, I, I would just, I, I just became this person that needed to learn about myself and, you know, a big part of it was, is that I put in a thousand dollars of my own money for this person to teach me this stuff <laughs> that they knew. Um, whereas when I went to the AA and NA, you know, that's, those are free places for me to go, but 
when I found myself in the back on my phone, not listening to, to the meeting or the stories or connecting, or I was outside and I wouldn't go in the meeting and I'd go back and say, I went to the meeting and uh, a lot of manipulation going on when I was going to those places because of my own mind. I didn't want to be here, but I had to be here. They told me I had to be here. If I don't be here, I'm going to be relapsed and all this stuff. Um, so I, I identified six things when I was with this relationship coach. You'll never hear me say I'm an addict and an alcoholic because I'm not one today. I'm in long-term recovery, recovering from a vast majority of things. Two of those things inside of the vast majority of things is alcohol and drugs. But I have more things in alcohol and drugs that I'm recovering from. And the biggest one is my thinking. Um, so it doesn't matter. I mean, it wasn't the drugs and alcohol that was the problem because the porn came before that. The food came before that. The line, the manipulation came before that. The Connie, right? So I, I don't call myself an addict or an alcoholic. I, I, I stopped in 2011. I also found that I, when I would say, hi, my name is Jam, an alcoholic, I was living in the past. So preoccupied about spent time. I was really spending all my time in past. So I was preoccupying myself with things that happened in the past, which never allowed me to get to the now, the present, the, the living part. Um, so that's the acronym I use for past is preoccupied about spent time because I would just sit there and I'd share the war stories. I'd share about the drinking. I'd share about how shitty my life was, what happened to me in my life. I'd never focus on anything that was positive in my life. Then when I said, and then I would also say to myself, whoa, when am I going to relapse? When am I going to have a drink? I can't go around people that drink. I can't go to a wedding. Can't go to a concert. Can't go here. Can't go. Where, what, what's life? Well, I can't, I can't go on a cruise. I can't <laughs> like, these are the things I would say. And then when I say, hi, my name is Jim, an addict. I'd be this. I can't go down back alleys. I can't go over here. I can't go over there. I'm going to go. These are the things I went through in my mind. <clears throat> so when I say to myself, in my term recovery, well, just a minute. What I was doing, I wasn't ignoring you. I was listening to you. I was looking up the 12 steps because I thought I remembered. I'm just backing up to when you said um, about going to your mom to ask for forgiveness and you hadn't even forgiven yourself yet. I thought that that was one of the 12 steps was forgiving yourself. That's what I was doing. So that's why I was looking up because I thought I thought that was up at the top. But it's not, it doesn't say that. Well, there's nothing in there that says that you make an amends to yourself. It says you make an amends to other people. First. Well, I knew that. I knew and that. And then you go make thought... an amends to other people and you don't go make an amends to them if it harms you or the other person. So you make a direct, you can make a direct amends or you make an amends with your higher power. So you're not going to go make an amends with somebody if you're going to get in a big fight because now you're just going to get in a big fight, right? But where inside of all that does it say make an amends to yourself first, which I never understood. Um, but that's part of I thought it did because I'm forever I am a life coach and I'm forever saying of course it's I don't deal with alcohol and drugs because I tried that once Um, that's what I wanted to be like I said I got out of school and and thought I was going to save the world and the first job they gave me as a counselor the state gave me a court-appointed alcohol and drug so i'm i go in and i'm going to save these people right well first of all they're court appointed they don't even want to be there that wasn't their choice they had to to save themselves well but i'm just saying like that was part of their sentence and you know what i'm saying they had to go through these programs and then you know get on whatever but 
But it's funny right. you bring that up, though, right? See how see how messed up society is. Uh huh. And here's here's the thing. You know, I've I've already told you that I I don't use alcohol or drugs, right? Um, I didn't say that I don't have an addiction. I do. Um, but I've lived amongst drug and alcohol all my life, and. And I learned at a very early age not to enable. Um, I watched my mother enable. And I, you know, so I could see, like, as a teen, I could see, like, my younger brother, who, like, I think he started at 10, 9 or 10, smoking pot. And I could see the moment he walked in the door that he was high. His whole personality changed. Actually, it was better he was so angry so when he you know smoked some pot he came in and he was all mellow and nice so that was the first thing i always noticed not that he was mean to me it wasn't me he was he was mad at my mom remarrying you know and his dad not being around because she wouldn't let that be around dad i was older i was eight years older than him um so i would notice these things but the first thing i said to him was you know that that's not always going to work. You're going to need something bigger than that to keep covering up the pain. So why don't we just go get counseling? And, and I knew the, you know, the problems that he was having, I lived them too. Not all of his, because he was a lot younger and my age, I could make my own decisions. I could go see my dad when I wanted to, you know, and all that. Um, but anyway, he insisted that, no, that doesn't lead to harder drugs. Well, about two years later, he was, you know, into the cocaine and heroin and and just, I think he's only been clean four years now, and he's 51. Good for him. But all those years, he went through marriages and destroying families and my mom still continued till the day she died of you know he would he would be in a bad end of town and he had let like a user take his car to go get drugs so they would give him free drugs and they wouldn't come back with his car you know and he was stuck and he would call her and say you know come get me and she would go to the worst ends of the city where where all the stuff was happening to pick him up at four o'clock in the morning. And when I found out she was doing that, I'm like, um, you need you need to call me because I did not want her. Like he wasn't thinking, he didn't care where she went to get him. He just, you know, you, you don't think about other people when you're high. No. You just think about yourself. And I'm thinking, I'm going to lose my mom. Somebody's going to stab her, kill her. You know, that's the areas that he was in. And so I said to her, um, you don't go by yourself anymore. If he calls you, and first of all, I told her not to go get him, but she said, that's my baby, and I feel responsible, you know, because I caused this, like your mom felt, right? Yeah. And and so I'm going to do everything to help him, and I'm like, but you're not helping him, right? Well, it becomes an addiction on their part, right? So the yeah. addiction is, I feel guilty, I'm full of, you know, all this stuff. Well, I feel so better I, if I'm helping him now. Yeah, I think, but, and I think that's my help, but I'm actually keeping them sick and I'm sick. So it's right. double sick. 
I, but, you know, so I tried to convince her not to go, but if she was going to go, she insisted on going, then I'm like, then you call me and I'm going to be with you because I'm not letting you go by yourself. Um, and and the, the day that she was dying, I called him and said, you need to get here. And um, he he came, he had to get high first to come. And I was so mad at him. So well, that's, that's the only way that he can deal with it, right? So. I know. Well, I, I don't give him excuses. I never have. He's called me when he's been homeless and said, sis, I need your help. And I'm like, you're going to go into recovery? You know, I'm not. No, I'm not helping you. That's how I am. Okay. But that's because I watched it all my life that the other way didn't work. Okay. So what I wanted to finish telling you was, so as going into this place where I was going to be this counselor and help these people, the first thing, and it was mostly men at the time, there was a few women, but it was mostly men. And I didn't, number one, speak their language. Um, so, you know, the F-bomb left and right and blah, 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 blah. That wasn't me then. Um, but the other thing was they asked me, so how, how long have you been a recovering addict? And I said, I'm not a recovering addict. Um, oh, well, did you do alcohol? Did you do drugs? No. Well, then you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. <laughs> you don't know how we feel. And I said, you know, I know, I don't know how you feel. I don't think anybody knows how another person feels unless you tell them, right? Like everybody doesn't feel the same. But I've been, I've watched it all of my life and I know what not to do to help you. And they hated me. They hated me. And I hated going in there every night. They mocked me. They made fun of me. They they wanted a male and they wanted a male that said, fuck this and fuck that and whatever. And that wasn't me. So I, I went and said, apparently this wasn't supposed to be my job. Well, I, the, I got like in the treatment center, Giovanna was my <clears throat> counselor and she was the first person that I had talked to. Uh, and she was a recovering addict of like 20 years that related with me. So because and of that relation today, part. Today, I believe that you probably do need to experience those things to understand. I still understand because. 100% you, you do. You, 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 I do because, and because you know what? I would ask, I would ask my brother, my sister, I would ask him like, how, why do you keep doing this? What does this stuff do for you? I mean, so I know, I knew every drug that he was taking and how it made him feel. And, you know, my sister, why she was drinking and how it made her feel. And so I didn't feel it. I was afraid of it. I knew that it was addiction in our family and I, and I was afraid to pick it up. So that's just me being a chicken. Well, <laughs> you, you saw it and you didn't want to be what you saw, which is like, I didn't, I didn't, but I'm telling you, I was... I was afraid of it. And I, I had many uh, counselors that, that didn't use that I wouldn't say a thing to. Um, and that's what I'm saying. So, you know, I, guess, I didn't, I, I guess too. I mean, but I was messed up. 
too, right? So because I was messed up, I, I wasn't looking for help. So why would I talk to you anyway? <laughs> I'm here because I got told to be here. I, you know, like I'm not going to. Well, see, and that's what I'm saying. That's what they were saying. You know, I'm not here because I want to be. I was told I have to be. Yeah. And that's a whole different thing than somebody making a choice to go get help. And, and I, I never made the choice to go get help, but through the process of it, somehow by, 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 by me, I don't know, 15 years almost. <laughs> a choice? Uh, she okay. said that, she said that I should go. Uh, I had to go. It was either that. So my options were stay in jail or go to treatment. Right, but so you I turned went, yourself in, remember? Oh yeah, but this is back. So that was in 2005. So when I got busted okay. in 2007, they let okay. me out. Some judge was there and put me on a whack of conditions. So it was either, okay, Jay, stay on these whack of conditions with this bracelet on your ankle and do all this stuff, or go to this treatment center, get the ankle bracelet off. Where am I going to go? So okay, I mean, so what? But what? So what you're really telling me then is, even though you were forced to go, there was one thing that was said to you that made you decide that you were going to win. She, uh, Sandy said that I was going to fail. That you were going to fail. Yeah. So, and somebody else would, you know, take that as you're right. I'm going to fail because I always fail if they're failed. You know what I'm saying? Well, and that's what I said. I, I, I said, why would you send me to somewhere where I'd fail? Because I failed my whole life. And what was interesting about the whole <clears throat> transition into second stage and, and, and seeing a different form of recovery versus a 12-step program and really learning what relapse is. You know, you have a mental relapse actually before you pick up. Most people think it relapses. You just drink. Uh, no, you're actually planning your relapse out before it happens. You're actually drinking before you actually drink. You're actually uh, sexercising before you actually sex. You're actually eating the food. You're picking up the sugar. You're doing all those things before it happens. But you got to identify and be aware that you're doing those things, but that other programs don't teach you that. They say you relapse, so <clears throat> you have to these things. Anyway, so I got well, we to get into your program. Then. I'm excited to hear what that is. So, but that's where I kind of started get so so essentially hype was starting to get built, like with Bob because he was teaching me a different recovery, um, and so because it was different, I was, was like, this a, was this your sponsor? Uh, no, he was the guy that ran the house. So he okay. was the guy that ran the sober house. Um, okay. But he just, it was just, it, it was, it was different than a sponsor. Um, and then, so then I, I get there, uh, I get myself enrolled back into college. I go to follow my dream to be a chef. Uh, at nine months, I have to go back. The culinary to school. Is that what you went yeah. to? Yeah. I went to Algonquin college to become a chef, Red Seal chef. Um, and uh but I had to deal with these charges. I was looking at five years in prison. So at nine months, I had to go back to Kenora to deal with this stuff. And I had, I had accepted the fact that um, I did the crime. I got to do the time. So, and which was a big pill for me to swallow in the aspect of, you know, I was like, Kim, I'm only 28. I'm going to do four and a half years, maybe four. I'll get out. I'll be 32. I'll have almost five years. Maybe I got a life. So I went back and even my, even my lawyer said, I don't know which way this is going to go. I mean, you're up on your fifth charge of cocaine. Yes. You got nine months. Yes. You've been doing good. Yes. You you've somehow managed to, to change it around, but I honestly don't know. It's 50, 50. You could go to jail or we'll see what judge Frazier says. Um, 
and I have wore a suit. First time I ever wore a suit to, to court. I used to always wear the ripped jeans and gray, you know, and that's what Judge Frazier said. He said, Do you think that makes a difference? Because I've, I've heard they always tell you to make sure that you clean yourself up before you go. I think I was at a point in my life where I wanted to be cleaned up. So before I didn't care what I looked like in court, because that was my that. I'm just wondering if you think that really has any. I, I don't know if it, I, I, I know it made me feel good. I know it made me feel good when I walked into that same court office, that courthouse, that same property that I'd been going to for, you know, 18 years. And I was actually in a suit versus ripped jeans, yelling, screaming, all that other stuff. I knew I felt like I, 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 was doing some work on myself. I knew I felt like I was, I was doing some kind of change. I knew I wasn't that same Jay that was there. So then do you um, think that would make you talk differently than to the judge? Absolutely. absolutely. Cause he said, you know, you're saying yes, sir. No, sir. Um, you know, your, your whole, everything has changed. He's, and he say, he said, Jay, I've never seen anybody work so hard to get their life back in nine months. You got to understand I've been here a long time. And, uh, a five-year sentence turned to 18 months of probation and 18 months of probation. And he allowed me to go back to Ottawa to fulfill my dream to become a chef. Uh, so essentially I get goosebumps every time I talk about this because judge Frazier is watching over me now. And he, 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 he saw something in me that I had never saw in myself way, way before then. When he told me, Jay, there's a V in the, in the, the road, you got to go this way. Jay, he, he gave, he tried to give me chance after chance after chance. And, and, and for whatever reason, when, when Sandy, you know, said, you know, said, you know, you got this option to go to treatment and he said, yeah, that's, a, you know, judge Fraser had to approve it. And, and I went, he still had that belief. He still had that belief in me before I even had the belief in myself. And at that point in my life, I understood if you help yourself, other people are willing to help you. And, and that's exactly what I was doing. I was helping myself. And because I was helping myself, other people were willing to help me uh, get better, get to my dreams and my goals, my successes, whatever they may be. Um, and I had a real appreciation for the judicial system because I always looked at it as a bad place. Like they always wanted to do bad things to me and put me away. And, you know, I never wanted to take responsibility that I was doing the crime and I'm going to do the time. And so I had a real for the fact that they wanted to me actually for me to be somebody in life but it wasn't about them wanting me to be somebody in life it was about jay you can be somebody in life so right. this is about you believing in you jay this isn't about us believing in you yes we had to believe in you before you could believe in yourself just like i coach i i see things in people way before they see anything in themselves that's why i do what i do um and <clears throat> And then just the road of recovery began. I got to get into college. I got to play with food. I started calling myself Chef Recovery. I started building. I, I had my first crack at a TV show. I was called uh, Redemption Cafe. Um, and then I, uh, I really, I really went full out on advocacy when it became uh, mental health, uh, alcoholism, drug addiction, uh, my newfound life through what today is hype uh and 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 breaking away uh out of the box right i jumped right out of the top of the box i had no fear i wanted this life beyond recovery i just didn't want to be a guy that i gotta get to a meeting oh my god if i don't get to a meeting oh my god i'm gonna do this oh my god i gotta call my sponsor oh my god what step am i oh my god. i didn't want to be i didn't want to be that guy i didn't want to i wanted a life I just want, I wanted a life beyond recovery. I wanted to be able to go where I want to go. I'm not going to go sit in a heroin house. Cause that's what, that's not what I'll do, but I'll go on to a, I'll go to a, a an all-inclusive resort and have the best time of my life. That doesn't mean I got to drink. 
but right. people won't go there because they think they'll relapse. No, you don't understand it. It's a, it's, you're relapsing way before. So you're probably on the plane going, man, I can't wait to get there. Cause now all these things, right. Um, and just I would think-, think this is just my opinion, but early on when you just first get out of recovery, that it would probably be a smart thing not to go in those environments or well, I, wouldn't go, I wouldn't go in there in the first year or two, but uh, I started That's what I'm saying. I like if somebody talked to me about it, I would I would suggest in, in, in the first couple of years that they stay out of the places that or go with somebody that is or be with somebody yeah. that is, you know, there's a lot that you have to give up. And I understand that. But once you're through that, then you see where, you know what, I can still go to those places and have fun and not get drunk or not get high. The problem is with people is they don't do that switch. So they, they, they don't do that switch. That's why the statistics are so low on people that actually get a life. So if you right. go look at the statistics in the rooms of how many people, and, and so, you know, What's the definition of success? The definition of success for me is if you're doing better two hours ago than you are right now, you're doing right well. Yeah. So yeah. at the end of the day, the statistics are just a statistic. Why do they even focus on the fact that only 5% of people come out of their successful? Well, no, they come out of their successful in whatever their success is. So if their success is, that's why I never understood when somebody's five or six or seven or eight days, nine days, hours, years, whatever, and they say, I lost my recovery. How did you lose your recovery? You were there for six years. You did not pick up or use. So you did something for six years that allowed you not to pick up, use, do whatever you were addicted to. All you did was move your date. You didn't lose anything because whatever you did in that period of time, you stayed. So does that mean that you don't use the word relapse? Uh I, I do, we, we do relapse prevention, but when you do relapse prevention, you got to understand what relapse is. So when you're doing relapse inside of other programs, they don't talk about <clears throat> it's the mental relapse before the actual picking up. They talk about a relapse as you went out and used, you lost everything, start from day one, blah, blah, start blah. Start from, right. So essentially, um, maybe you can say you started at day one, but you're not at day one because you're really, you've got this six years. And if that six years is there, you did something for six years. You just got to look at what went wrong for you to do what you did. And most times... You're scared of yourself. That's why you went and did what you did. You, you you figured out an excuse that allowed you and your brain to do what you did. So, you know, this is where hype comes in. And before hype, I, I got to be a celebrity chef and do a whole bunch of things for Wayne Gretzky and, and William Shatner. And I got to really live out this dream while I was living hype. I, I didn't want to bring this program to people if I wasn't going to be if I didn't see the change coming me through this and I stepped away from it and, and, and stuff like that, I, I didn't go. I, I, I just, Wasn't for you or. Yeah. I, I just, I wanted a, I, I wanted a life beyond recovery and I didn't see a life beyond recovery there. I support the places there. I send people there. I love those places. They gave me my life, but today it's not my life. And it's okay to say that it's okay to say that there's other options of recovery and I think that's what the world needs to hear today is there's different options for recovery. There just isn't one way to, to recover. Not every shoe fits the same foot. My foot's bigger than your foot. My foot's smaller than your foot. So I'm going to go get different shoes, different socks, different curls, hats, everything. Um, so, but, but the stigma and barriers and stress that come around the whole recovery thing, that's why people are so, um, you know, stuck. So let me stress. ask you this. Um, we haven't really got into your program. But in your program, um, do you have counselors? And I, I don't, I mean, 
So we're called peer-to-peer recovery coaches. So, so you don't have actual counsel because because what I'm thinking about went is somebody went to school. No, my schooling is my lived experience. So we're uh, we're lived experience peer to peer recovery coaches. So yes, the people that went to school, that's great, that's awesome. I'm happy for you. Um, but for me, the lived experience side just shines out more when it comes to uh, what 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 I'm trying to accomplish and what I'm trying to bring to the world, and uh, we have brought it to the world. Um, so peer-to-peer recovery coaches is, is what we are. We have myself, my wife, who's Ashley. We're Canada's recovery couple. Um, we have <clears throat> Brooke, we have Bob, and we have Sabrina. Sabrina got uh, into recovery when she was 17. She's more than half her life now. She's 18 years into, into this thing. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're peer-to-peer recovery coaches. Uh, I, I tried to do social uh, science or social whatever to become a – counselor and I was like holy shit that's a lot of work the only reason I asked that because I I believe that who whoever experienced those all those things knows how to help somebody that does but you, you made a point of it's not like the drinking or or being in that situation that makes us go back to it it's it's our thoughts so, and that's what I'm talking about is I think people that end up, they always, in in my age, they always called it like fell off the wagon. Yeah. Uh, that was the beginning of it. Um, was because they weren't, they still didn't deal with the problems to begin with. Yeah, okay. they, they ran, they ran. They, they just so that's what I'm. So that's yeah. why I was asking if if so it didn't really matter if if, if it was a certified life coach or you know somebody. Well, you get a lot of issues that you get a lot of. So myself, I, I get just a lot want to know if they deal with those parts. So I get a lot of issues as a peer to peer recovery coach because I don't have quote unquote schooling. So somebody like me that want that's why that's why I launched my own company. Right. So right. I would go, I would go to be, you know, a periods in my life. I'm like, Hey, there's a counselor position. I fit that role really good. I can work right. with people. Jay. Where's right. your I have this many years of lived experience. I have this, I have this, I can really relate to Jay. Where's your schooling? You know, so I just always get Jay. Where's your school. And I still do to this day. Where's my schooling, uh, 15 years of doing everything. Right. But that's not, that's, that's not a resume for, for people, which is <laughs> re- really, really weird, but that's why I'm changing. That's why I'm changing the language and that's why I'm changing the narrative. And that's why we're doing what we're doing is, is, uh, you know, I got big enough balls to change and try and do changes. And, uh, <laughs> um, so I, I, I work through hype and people are asking me, you know, at that point, I didn't even call it help it hype. I was calling it help my personal effort. That's what I was calling it. Um, and I was so, like, I'm just so explain to me what the hype is. What so hype stands for help your personal effort. So I was I was working on myself the time when I was in Fort McMurray being a celebrity chef, and people were like, You're so happy, you're it's so much success. What's going on? And I was like, I'm just working on myself. Just I didn't want to tell anybody what I was doing because I had put this program together after seeing that relationship coach. And, and identified six and, and another six things. So essentially 12 things that I wasn't getting in other, any other program. <clears throat> so I was like, I'm not going to tell anybody what this is unless I really start seeing changes in myself. I'm not going to go help somebody to ruin their lives. I want to see people excel. I want right. to see people be All the right. best they can be. Um, and then one night I just got out of bed and went, hype. 
wait a second, help your personal effort. I'm like, holy shit, help your personal effort. Wait, hype. I like that. I can be the hype man. I can be the hype man. Um, and uh, yeah, I was like, man, I got an acronym and a name. Right. So I was like, okay. And then from a- that- And a name you, you liked using. Yeah, and because I'm, I'm always- hyped up right and yeah um, so the, yeah I was, I, was, I was like and that's pretty cool how am I going to make this how am I going to deliver this so I just started and then all of a sudden I started becoming a motivational speaker and I started traveling across Canada and getting booked to speak and I was sharing about this newfound life through these first six things that are in the journey to 30 which is our six-week program and sessions which journey to 30 you know we talk about thinking thoughts patterns triggers series of events and boundaries um that's the first six sessions in hype and i started going around talking about this newfound life and this newfound and they always ask aren't you aren't you an alcoholic and an addict i said no i'm not i'm in long-term recovery inside of my vast majority of things that i'm recovering from there is alcohol and drugs but no i'm not an alcoholic or an addict today uh what do you mean I'm not an alcoholic or an addict today. I'm in long-term recovery. What else are you, are, are you only recovering from drugs and alcohol? Was that your only issue? Well, no. Oh, okay. So what are the other issues that you have? <laughs> right? Because you don't want to get anything. So you want to just say the drugs are the problem. The drinking is the problem. No, no. It's a symptom of the problem. But so then I started talking, 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 and I ended up uh, coming back to Kenora and uh, I, I had a beautiful daughter by the name of Destiny, who's seven now. I never thought I was going to have a, have a kid. Uh, I did it later in life. I was 35. Um, but she is uh, she, she is the reason why my heart beats, because now I understand what true, you know, I know what true love is because I love, you know, not this is not selfish. I love myself for who I am. Um, but I know what true love is when when you have a little girl that comes around out of school, daddy, daddy, I love you. And, 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 you know, just wants to be with you. And she's my little mini me. She yells recovery rocks. People want to see her on TikTok, And, and like, she just gives all this, you know, she knows all about it. I'm wide open with her uh, about suicide and drug addiction, anxiety, depression. She knows she can talk to me. <clears throat> That's where the conversations have to start. Um, and, and Thank then you. I, I always ask people to reiterate that because I am constantly, constantly telling people that, well, first of all, I believe that um, parents, parents need to be more aware and quit enabling, quit thinking their child wouldn't do this. I, I mean, I'm, well, the, 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 it's about the, I, I think you it's about to the, pay attention, but it's the difficulty of talking about it when you don't know how to talk about it. So it's the difficultness of, you know, coming to the realization that maybe my son or daughter or my mom or dad is dealing with this. What do I do? Right? Like, what do I do? Um, so the conversation was, the conversation stayed in the closet for a very, very long time. Like, I never talked about it when I was a kid. <laughs> you know, no, but I'm saying that that's where I think parents need to be more aware of what's going on so that they can start talking. Absolutely. They need to have so, lived experience people in schools, just like I had a guidance counselor. They need a lived experience person in the school talking to them about this uh, nonstop. Absolutely. They need, they need, and that's, that's what my mission and my goal in life really is along with the team. 
um, you know, after, you know, my ex and I broke up and, and we're still really, you know, we understand that it's destiny. So, uh, you know, we put everything aside and, and we give our daughter the best possible life along with Shanika, which is her daughter. Um, and then I found the love of my life, which is Ashley. Um, so I, I got really lucky uh, on the aspect of, you know, uh, Ashley just celebrated three years herself. Um, and, you know, she, she, we didn't Did know each other. Her from uh, she was told, she was told, she was told about me through a friend. Uh, we never knew each other. And, and uh, she was, uh, she was celebrating uh, three months or six months, three months. And I wanted to give her my three month, my dad, my three month chip. Yeah. And she came over to my house and she's, she, she just didn't understand why I was happy and full of sunshine and, and all these things. And she's like, I don't see this in the rooms. Why is it so dull? And, and all this stuff. And I, I said, I don't, I don't go to the rooms. I have a different program. Um, and it really started off with recovery for Ashley and I, and it was never about, you know, me or her hooking up or anything like that. It kind of just morphed into that. Um, and, uh, you know, and then, then, then I was like, Hey, you want to be Canada's recovery couple and do a TV show and, you know, this couple and show people that people in recovery can be in love and, and, and you're, it's okay to be with somebody in recovery. Don't listen to the bullshit out there about the 13 stepping and all this other stuff. And cause Ashley understands me. Ash, I understand Ashley, Ashley under Ashley knows what I'm going through before I know what I'm going through. And I know what Ashley's going through before she knows what she's going through because of that, we're able to communicate. And because we're able to communicate, there's no hidden agenda. There's no lying. There's no cheating. There's no manipulating. There's just honesty, love, kindness, compassion, and uh, both of us wanting each other to succeed, which is the first time I've ever had in my life. Um, and then uh, I opened up my own business called Freshwater Cuisine. I, I, I started creating where was this at? in Kenora, Ontario, um, in Yeah, in 2015. Uh, which I created products from the waste of fish. Uh, we became uh, one in five top businesses in all of <clears throat> Ontario. Uh, I was a leader in innovation. I was a top, uh, the, the government of Canada uh, recognized me um, as, a, as a leader and as an entrepreneur. All these things started coming and then the pandemic came and uh, I had to close my business. Uh, August 21st, I made one of the toughest decisions in my life, which was to close the business after losing Oodle's amount of money. Uh, I could have sat in a place of uh, real badness. I'm not saying I didn't go through a difficult time because I lost a lot of money. Life is not about money. It's about how rich I am inside. It doesn't matter about the paper. Um, but I could have sat in a real difficult spot. But I, I decided to do the PPT, which is position, pivot, and timing. And I saw it at the right time to launch Hype. Um, and I, and I wanted to launch hype online and I wanted to reach the world. Um, so because I knew that the wait times and treatment were long, I knew that people calling the crisis hotline weren't getting the help they needed. I knew the hospitals were backed up. I knew if I could just reach people online through my website, growing organically, doing discovery calls, not making it clinical. So when you call, you get a free discovery call with us and I discover where you're at, what you're doing, where you want to go. I present you the two programs. Which one do you want to take? Do you want to take the whole 90 or do you want to take the 30? Uh, and then from there, we start working. Um, so is, is there a chart, a charge? Oh, yep, there is. Yeah. And it, do you have a program if somebody didn't have the money to like? Uh, 
I have done, um, so over the last year, we just celebrated one year. So October 18th, 2021, we launched on my 5,000 days of being in long-term recovery. So it was a massive, uh, it was a massive accomplishment for me and the team because without Brooke and without Ashley and Bob and Sabrina and all the contributions that they gave to making a dream of mine come true, which I had in 2011, I would never have this dream that we have today that I'm able to talk about and help. Uh, so we've done 500 discovery calls, over 500 discovery calls in this year. Uh, we've brought 35 people through the program, uh, paid people through the program. We've helped people from USA to Australia to UK to, I got a big following in UK, obviously Canada, Hawaii. Um, and I've also paid it forward, meaning that I have brought people in the program and not charged them that needed help. Obviously, I can't do everybody because I need to make a living. Um, right at the end of the day, but I have brought through uh, 15 people and uh, well, you have to pay the bills of the center and, and your employees. Well, it's, and it's, it's all, it's all uh, I don't have a center. It's all through online. So I do it all oh, through right all online. Yeah. So, so you do zoom. Is that what you do? Yeah. So what I wanted to do is I wanted to break down the barriers and stigma when I, and, and stress that uh, it takes people to ask for help. So, you know, a lot of people call, gee, I'm a single mom. I can't go to treatment. I'm going to lose my kid. Where am my kid going to go? I'm a single father. I, I, Jay, I don't want to lose my job. So we're able to come to you in the comfort of your home, break down the stress, bring down the barriers, break down the stigma. You can work one-on-one -on -one with a recovery coach, peer-to-peer. -peer. That allows you to still have the things that you need in life, but still access the help that you need through our programs virtually which also gives you the support of a recovery coach through the duration of each one of the programs, which is either the six or the 12. Um, I also wanted to uh, give something really special when they transitioned out of the, uh, the, the 30 or the, the 90. So I partnered up with a company in Ottawa called Firebox Glass. These are our journey bracelets um, and Simone and Susan. Susan is visually impaired in a person with autism. And she hand makes every single one of our beads and puts these bracelets together. Um, so when you transition out of the 30, I send you one of these from Susan. Uh, so I love supporting the visually impaired in person autism. Ashley works with them at KACL. And uh, it, it's really special when you see Susan and she calls and she says, Jay, we're helping people. They get to wear our bracelets. We're helping them stay on the road to recovery. And so um, that dream that dream is absolutely amazing because it's, it's a year now and, and people are understanding who we are. And, and, you know, so <clears throat> I've presented it to jails and Ontario works and the government and, you know, that's where I get all the, that's where I get all the, the kickback of where's your schooling and where's this. And, you know, so I'm breaking through that barrier of, Hey, listen, we're lived experienced peer to peer recovery coaches. My schooling is I had 20 years of, absolute hell shit in a handbag uh you know tried committing suicide on three attempts you know here i am coming up on for 15 years that's my schooling <laughs> my schooling I is wonder, i wonder if you got just an associates like in arts and science and kind of majored your besides your prerequisites like psychology and sociology if that would be enough for them so I do actually have to, I have trauma. Uh, so I, I tried going to school after being a chef. Cause I was like, Oh man, I don't want to be a chef. This is like hell. Right. Cause I was at the bottom and I was like, I was like, this is, I don't want to be a deal. 
So I was like, I'm going to go save the world, kind of like you. I'm going to go yeah. to school, social worker, and I'm going to do this. And then I go in there like, it's four years of school. And I'm like, excuse me, what? And so anyways, I did two courses out of these 16 or something that I had to do. Two of them, uh, tra- uh, early childhood trauma and abuse and something else it's called. So anyways, in the, in the, in the interviews, I say, well, I did try and do social, <laughs> social work and I did get two courses. So I did do some schooling with a whack of lived experience. So, um, so, so that, that brings us to empower to recover, um, which is another dream, uh, that I had in 2000. Yeah. So in 2013, I was in Fort McMurray and, uh, I was, I had the, fortune of being a TEDx speaker <clears throat> and um okay sorry but that that reminds me of something you had said earlier and I wanted to ask you and I didn't want to interrupt when when you were um traveling being a motivational speaker did you get paid for that yeah I charged for that yeah okay. yeah charged for the my speech so what's your I'll tell how you people, then how did people find you to get to ask you to speak uh, I was massively online. So I, I've been online since I was six months into this thing. And I just started building the brand Chef Recovery organically by myself. And then <clears throat> I just would email people. I would reach out to people on social media. Hey, listen, you're looking for a motivational speaker. Hey, listen, you're looking for so this. You marketed hey. yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But the story about getting paid. So I was in treatment and they're like, hey, do you want to go speak? We'll pay you 50 bucks. And I was like, Oh. for me to mm-hmm. speak what excuse me what they're like yeah you got to go to the church go speak and i'm like okay <clears throat> so i go to the church i'm like i wonder if i'm at the right church nobody's here it's been half an hour why what is it like you know so my brain started going like what, what's going on well, i'm in the wrong spot you know and i was you know so i just stopped and i went well, why don't you just take the opportunity and just speak in front of this church even though there's no people here to hone your own craft this is giving you the opportunity to be the best version of you you don't need people jay so I stood there and told my story in front of this church for 45 minutes. I went back to the treatment center and said, Hey, I went to the church. There was nobody there. I just spoke my story to nobody. They're like, Oh yeah. Nobody, there. yeah. nobody came up. They're like, yeah, we forgot to tell you it was canceled. Oh my gosh. Like, but here's your 50 bucks. And they gave me the 50 bucks. And I was like, interesting. So I went from, 50 bucks to then charging a hundred bucks to then charging 250, then charging 500, then a thousand, then 3000. And, and now it's 5,000 bucks. Um, so, but that's where that 50 bucks started was like, okay, this is interesting. <laughs> right. So then I was like, Hey, I could be a motivational speaker and I can go tell my story and I can get booked and I can hype up the room and I can bring in the chef recovery stuff. And that's what I do. Um, so then empower to recover becomes born. So are you still a chef? I'm I I chef on the side. Uh, I have a like real private itch. stuff. Yeah, private stuff. But I have a real itch to get back in the kitchen now that I closed my other business. And you know, I got the hype stuff going, and I want to introduce coaching into different places. Like the kitchen really needs it, and and camp work, and uh, the nutrition business I have. So I have a whole bunch of things going. But I'm like, I want to get back into chefing every day. It's just it's in my blood. I'm a chef. I want right. to you know. So. Right going to start doing it again but i do lot i would do uh when, when i was motivationally speaking i'd do live cooking shows right on the stage talking about my story uh you know i was starting to uh, create i was just going to ask you if you could combine them yeah 
I started creating food that mashed up with like grilled powerless trout, forever sobering, spicy shrimp slaw. Uh, what was the other? Anyways, there's a whole bunch of them. I had a cookbook and <clears throat> or a cookbook I was working on that I couldn't get finished and yeah, all these things, you know. <laughs> yeah, an entrepreneur, always doing something. I have um, like five things going on at once too. I get it. Yeah. So then the the dream and when I did the TEDx talk and from all these people, I was like, man, wouldn't it be cool to have a a, a TEDx of recovery? Wouldn't it be cool to have a motivational live tour go across Canada? Wouldn't it be cool to have a mental health tour go across Canada? Empower to recover. Now that that didn't get born till March of this year. Um, and the reason it got sparked was because of Bonnie Henry and BC saying that safe supply or saying that absent-based programs aren't viable coming off of drugs. Uh, whereas harm reduction and safe supply, you know, and there's a place for harm reduction. There's a place for safe supply. There's a place for everything in the world. There is. I, I'm not going to be a guy that points a finger at anything because there's a, there's a place for everything. There's a, there's a reason why the world's in the state it's in today, because there's a reason for it. Um, so uh, I was like, okay, it's time to uh, it's time to launch this mental health platform and try and get across Canada and share our story of us people that are not, that us people that are abstinent base standing up for abstinent based programs. Uh, so it's bringing awareness around abstinent based programs and peer to peer recovery coaches because in Canada we don't get funded. So everything that I do is my own money um, or people that are coming into the the hype. It's re invested back in um so i don't get funding for uh coaching because i don't have schooling and i don't i'm not classified as a treatment center i'm not classified as uh, any of that stuff so for me and the group of people that i've put together um we've wanted to to do this uh we were going to do it november 19th but i couldn't get some speakers that i wanted so it's a full day event uh with vendors uh speakers a uh, live podcast coming from the show um, and uh, speakers in recovery. We're going to do a picture recovery business because I'm a real entrepreneur. So I want somebody uh, recovering from whatever they're recovering from. It just doesn't have to be drugs and alcohol. I want them to pitch their business and we want to give them a $5,000 scholarship through sober biz babe to help them with their uh, website their market, uh, for, for their business. So, you know, everybody oh, said, through what you said through something. Yeah. Through a scholarship. Okay. So we want to give a $5,000 scholarship, which will go through Brooke at Sober Biz Babe, because she does all the marketing, all the website design, all the um, SEO, all that stuff, right? So it'll go through her so that we can help them actually get online and, and get a present in, presence in the world of trying to run a business online, if that's what you're choosing to do. Uh, we want to do a picture recovery speaker. So somebody that's in recovery, recovering from whatever they are, that's never spoke before to tell their story. Um, and then a picture recovery band or singer that uh, will close the event out singing uh, about recovery or whatever they're recovering from. <clears throat> and then speakers that are uh, in recovery. Um, that's the event. Um, it's a full day. We got the Anvil Center booked in New Westminster for May 27th, uh, 2023. Um, we do have, uh, if you go to www.empoweredorecover.com, we do have, I call them MVPs because everybody's important to me uh the word sponsorship i don't i don't really that's what you can relate it to but i'd rather just call you an mvp I, I, that's how i like things 
Um, so we have MVP packages from the platinum to the gold, to the silver, to the bronze, where you can get in uh, to get behind us and support us. Uh, we have a vision to do 10 cities all across Canada um, to, to bring awareness around absent-based programs and peer-to-peer -peer recovery coaches and what peer-to-peer -peer lived experience recovery coaches bring to the world and how we can help people. Uh, we do have some people from the U.S. that are already intertwined with us. Uh, tickets are on sale right now at Ticketmaster or at uh, Ticketmaster at www.empoweredorecover.com. Um, yeah. Dreams come true. <laughs> I like that. I like that. And and I like it that people are going to hear this. And maybe that'll give them some hope, too. That's the whole point of life struggles um, is to always, I always find somebody that has a different life struggle and they're all different. It doesn't matter if they're alcohol or drugs or disorders, any kind of mental disorders, physical disorders. I've, I've had everything from somebody that, you know, went out on a date and they were sitting on top of a roof, um, that was supposed to be like, like apartment buildings, you know, how they'll have rooftops and there's like pools sometimes up there, or there's, you know, seating and whatever. And this one, this one that I interviewed, um, she just went out with this guy and they were in Boston and, uh, they were really enjoying each other's company. And, you know, they were done with dinner and done walking around the city and, she was like, now what? And he's like, I don't know. What do you want to do? And she's like, well, we have a rooftop at my dorms. So long story short, they, they went there. And on the rooftop was a hammock. And it was um, from the, it was attached from the chimney to a tree that's on alongside the building. Anyway, she sat down in it. And then he came over and sat down with her. And as he sat down, that broke off the chimney. And the chimney fell on her, her hit her chest. Um, she, she is permanently paralyzed from her neck down. Oh um, the amazing part of this is she is so, and this was, I think, their sophomore year in college. Yeah. Um, but just started dating, you know, a couple dates. And she wasn't even supposed to to live you know i mean like she she i think she flatlined like three or four times just in the they had to helicopter um just to even get her off the roof because of the fire engine trucks like they couldn't carry her they couldn't like carry one of those things yeah. uh, a gurney you know and they couldn't get up there so they like had to take the the ladder thing and then they had to attach this rope and all this stuff so it took some time to even get her into the helicopter um but anyway long story short she is now um in law school and uh she is wanting to be attorney that fights for the people that are handicapped um with that kind of stuff too yeah so it's and that's the whole point of life struggles is I want people to hear the stories because there's, you know, like her story, I'm sure there's a lot of paraplegic or no, she's the other one. She's more than, yeah, it's, it's like, the, it's like a girl that we have involved with empower to recover. I, I branded her as bionics babe 
So she had, uh, so she was, she wasn't a hardcore drug addict or anything. She got a bad batch of dope and had mm-hmm. a stroke and they found her in the garage, uh, uh, 18 or 12 hours later and she lost circulation to her legs lost both her legs at the age of 30 two years ago um and uh, she just came across through tj to me and now she's one of our speakers at empower to recover her name is bionics babe um and she's she's just this amazing this amazing person that you know appreciates life more than she's ever appreciated it and uh, she went through a lot of hard times and, and being able to find us uh, empowered to recover and the group of people we have involved and you know we don't look any different at her she's the same person doesn't matter to me I love you just the way you are I think you're actually way better than most people out there um, and she has this new found um, sparkle in her eyes smile on her mouth uh, love in her heart yeah so now she's going to be able to tell her story and now she's going to be sharing in schools and stuff and she's got a massive she's got a she's such a beautiful person talent yeah bionics babe um yeah like she'd, be, she'd be a good one for so, you too. so that's the point of life struggles is to to because we all have life struggles on a daily basis um, but there's so many people that feel alone, like I'm the only one going through this or I'm the only one that, and so that's why I try to find so many different things so that we reach somebody out there that's, that hears it, that now feels, oh, well, I'm not alone. That's somebody it. else had this and, and that whoever I'm like, I'm talking to you, um, I'm going to ask you at the end, what you, what you would take from everything you went through and give to somebody else um that's that's what i do so at the end there's always like how they conquered how they conquered whatever they were going through and that's what helps people so it's not like we're professionals and i make sure i say that you know this is our opinion this is our words our opinion and everybody's is different you know so anyway and that's what i'd like to 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 ask you, um, I hope um, that everything is in the bio that I can share to other people. And is it okay if we share um, your like Instagram accounts? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. You can um, share. I I can email you all that stuff. Okay. Is and is that how people normally start out getting a hold of you guys? Uh, so yeah, they'll find us online, like www.hypercoverycoach.com. So people will just be, you know, Googling. Just find that online. Like, how did you get it that far? Because they go to Google and then they'll put, uh, need help with drinking or need help with whatever need help. So it would be in their location. Yeah. And I haven't put any money behind SEO. It's just been organically growing. So I pop up about three or four, you know, where I should be at number one, but I, you know, I don't put into marketing money yet. And um, but then they just contact us. They get on my website. They see who we are. They see that we're lived experience. They, they all this stuff. They see my story. They see what we're doing, and then they book a free discovery call, and then we have this conversation. Okay. And then they so I, to give you a little hint um, that won't cost you anything, and maybe somebody's already doing that for you. But to grow my business, one of my businesses, I found out that if Every single day, just one time a day that I go on to Google and I do some kind of update to my site, 
So my website's on there already, okay, on yep. Google, un under my business name. So I go to my business name, and then I post a new picture that day or a new saying that day. But that keeps you at the top so that when people search, so like right now, I'm number one search when somebody says um, women's clothing and accessories near me. Nice. That's a good place to be. Right. But I did that myself by somebody else telling me this trick that if you just once a day take five minutes and go to your Google and up, update something. It can be anything. It can just be a picture of yourself or your right. wife. Change, change the hours on the thing or whatever. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I was, I was doing, I was doing that at the beginning. Uh, and, and you're absolutely right. I noticed that I was more, I, I got away from it. Thanks for reminding me about that. Um, I was doing that at the beginning. I was putting pictures on my Google page and I was updating things and I was doing stuff like that. And I noticed I was up higher. And if you look look at the analytics on on your Google, it'll show you. You know, you're down by this. Yeah, month. It, it sends me it sends me a thing every month. Shows me every yeah, month that right. what's going on, and I'm like, yeah, well, things are low. What's going on? Now, now I know why things. Well, that's are all low. you have to do. Yeah, great. That's all great. you have to do, and then you'll start being at that top of that list. So when people do, you know, do put that in. Um, now I think if they like for me, if they don't put the near me. Um, I think I come up like, right, because Google still looks for wherever that person's at to begin yeah. with. Yeah, so the the SEO that we have set up has keywords that they type in that bring us right. up. So uh, still organically growing and not putting any money into marketing, but keywords pop up. But you're absolutely, I got to get back on that. that. See, that's why also we talked tonight for you to remind me to get back on Google. <laughs> thing i see that's another reason i'll tell you what i'm learning every single day every single day you'll you find to... out with your daughter it's amazing my my youngest son is um a junior in college and he just thinks he knows absolutely everything yeah. everything and i said i said until the day you die you should be learning something almost every day if you're listening if you're listening. And it's funny because he calls me for, like last night he called me, he said, remember during the pandemic when um, I had to stay home and take classes and, you know, I was done with them in two hours or whatever. And we used to make a, a snack, but a healthy snack. Do you remember what that was, mom? And I said, yeah, it was, we mixed uh, vanilla yogurt with um cookie dough and then peanut butter we mixed that and they had a lot of protein in it we, he, yeah. we were working we were working out we did he 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 cleaned out one part of the garage and now talk about organically working out uh we ordered two cases of water and I, so those were used for, for weights as push-ups you know Beauty. um Hung a bar up there to do pull-ups. Um, out of out of wood, he found around, made a bench. <laughs> wow, that's that that is that is awesome. Um, but you know, we couldn't go anywhere, and so he's like, "We got to do stuff." He's very very positive. He's like, "We got to do stuff, you know, to keep busy." 
And uh, of course, a lot of people went to TikTok and we ended up doing some TikToks together too. Had some fun doing that. But then, you know, his friends wanted to be involved and then they did FaceTime and they made, I, I don't know how they figured out how you could take four people and make one video when they're at different houses on FaceTime. But wow. somebody, somebody, how somebody somehow recorded it and knew what they were doing and editing. But it was just amazing. Like, found stuff to do. And the positive thing we found most in the whole pandemic thing, which I love hearing different stories from people, but he was, he was really, really busy in sports, played basketball and baseball. I was running three businesses um, and going to all his sports stuff and whatever. Um, we hardly ever had dinner together as a family. We didn't have time. Everybody was all these different places. So all of a sudden, wow. when you couldn't. Yeah, you're doing that now. We started watching movies, you know, together. We started eating dinner together. So we found the positive stuff in it. Um, not that there wasn't ever a day that you're like, oh, my gosh, I'll be so glad when we can get out again, you know. But we weren't going to anytime soon. You know, I don't know how long you guys were. And it's been different all over, but like in our city, it depended on our governor. And we were like shut down for a year, exactly yeah, a year. Yeah, yes, is a is a belt. I mean, I, I got I had one shot or two shots at opening freshwater cuisine <clears throat> throughout the pandemic, but just you know, nothing was happening. And the food food industry got hit one of the yeah. hardest. So in the processing, well, I don't know. I didn't have any business when I reopened. People were still afraid to come out. Yeah, so that's what I'm saying, right? So even for me, I was a guy that had to go buy off. I had to go buy the fish off the indigenous fishers in the communities, and then bring the fish back to my processing facility, and then process the food, then sell it to the marketers, which was Cisco GFS or whoever, and then they would take it to the bigger, to the smaller places, right? But I had a problem getting into the communities because it. I could possibly have COVID and infect the whole entire community. Right. So <clears> the <throat> whole source problem, that's why I went into the mental health world because there's no shortage of, of source in the mental health world. Um, there's a shortage of fish sometimes in the world. Uh, there's a lot in the lake, but there's, you know, you got problems. So I went into the places that, you know, that was the, so you talk about the positive things in the pandemic, which is great to hear because I had a lot of positive things too, you know, from the aspects of Ashley and I getting in the best shape of our lives sure. to, um, you know, pivoting into hype to pivoting and doing programming online, being able to access people help through online uh, not being able to get into treatment because of these mass wait lists and all these things going on with the pandemic and couldn't do this, couldn't do that. They're able to ask for help. They're able to access help. They're able to get, uh, you know, the stuff that they needed at that time. Um, the connection I got with my daughter, uh, I got to spend a lot of time with my daughter um, and get to, uh, you know, she got to be with her dad, you know, more than she probably ever had been. And uh, we really bonded in a way that I was just like, I love being a dad. <laughs> I, I, I love being a dad, I, you know, and, and, you know, it's just because she, we didn't have a lot of friends, right. I had to be with her or, you know, we couldn't go to the parks. They had the parks, all these things. Um, so it was really just me because we did seven on seven off. So Julie would have her for seven. I would have her for seven. That's how we did it. Do it. 
Um, so still do I, it that way. Yeah, we're gonna probably move to fourteen and fourteen right away. If I take a, I might I might go to a remote camp and start chefing again. Um, so do I, you guys live by each other then? Yeah, so I, yeah, I live in. Thing. Yeah, Julie lives right across from the school. I'm about 15 minutes away from the school. So, um, but yeah, I think we might move to that. I just have an itch to get back to cooking. I, I just, I, I have an itch and uh, I just want to back. So right there in just those little words that you said is is another thing that people need to take away from this. And so at the beginning of our interview, we talked about how you started out and so your mom and dad got divorced and your dad was in your life just a short amount of time and then decided not to go anywhere else. And you, then you had a stepfather. Um, you and your ex-wife have chosen the right way to help your child. That I understand that um, coming from a divorced family is probably the norm now. Yeah, co 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 parenting. I think co parenting is but, the norm. Yeah. It's just how do you deal with it, and most people and, don't. And I think it's important that you do that for the child's mental health and your own. I mean, well, I fighting over shit yeah. all the time isn't going to help you. You know, I learned from, I learned from Ashley. Um, Ashley and her uh, first daughter's dad. Now they've known each other for about twenty years, so they're you know. Mm -hmm. And they had to go through a whole bunch of shit to get where they are today, but they have the most phenomenal relationship when it comes to their daughter and the way they treat each other. And so over the course of this, you know, couple of years I've been with Ashley coming on three years, I've been watching this going, man, you know, cause it was rocky with Julie and I in the beginning, like everything. Mm -hmm. um, but then we kind of, did that switch and went, you know what, we got to put our sides and it's just about destiny. But through that, it kind of built a relationship with Julie and I on this friends level um, right. where we respect each other for who each other are. And that's what I saw in Ashley and Darcy is that they had a respect for each other. And that's uh, important. Shaylin come first and, you know, they, they, all those things. And I was like, man, that is like, there's not a lot of stress around when you're getting along for all the right reasons. There's a lot of stress when you're fighting each other for things you shouldn't be fighting for. Um, so and, at the end, and parents, I don't think realize how much kids hear, you know, they think you're there in another room. They can't hear what you're talking about, whatever, you know what they sneak to hear what you're talking about. And they know your, and they know how you feel. And they so, do. So yep. they know exactly, they exactly know how you feel. Um, they know exactly the way you feel. So because of the way you feel, then they know that, um, um, there's something going on. So because there's something going on, they know something's up. So I know when I, I know the times that, um, we weren't getting along destiny knew destiny just knows like Ashley. so <clears throat> julie and i would go to school events together still like you know i we just do that like that's the right thing to do destiny is if i don't have destiny i would like to be there if you don't have destiny you can come if you want to come right. um, so it's, it's just it's, it's you're absolutely right it's really important to uh 
We have to put our shit aside for our kids. Yeah, and it's and it's good for your own mental health, like you said. Your own, and that's what I'm saying. So, what what good does it do your own mental health if you're just going to fight with somebody? It's it it doesn't accomplish anything. It really doesn't. So, yeah. Okay. So this has been really good. Um, Now, now, can you do that part where I said I when I end mine, I always ask if if you could give some advice, what would it be? Um, I think the biggest piece of advice that I could give is that you have to give yourself a chance um, and and not to be hard on yourself. Uh, You know, I'm on a journey and I need to be teachable and I need to be able to learn from other people and I need to Uh, understand what love kindness compassion is to myself but also other people um i don't need to be i don't need to be in a rush with life because my whole entire using life was a rush um so why why am i why am i rushing why am i rushing i don't need you know why am i playing russian roulette you know i need to i need to learn um i need to learn about myself i think that was i think that's the biggest gift i've ever given to myself is getting to know who i am getting to, to love myself, getting to know all the good things about me, not saying I'm lonely because I'm not lonely. The best relationship I have is with myself. And if I don't have a relationship with myself, I'm saying I'm lonely and lonely just means I want to have somebody else there. And it's great to have somebody else there. Don't get me wrong there, but I love having a relationship with myself because I don't, I never feel lonely. I don't feel lonely. Um, and, uh, just, just giving. That's interesting to me. Um, I feel lonely sometimes, but I think it's, it's not, um, I don't have a problem with myself. I, I work so many hours that I don't have the time to do. I'm not taking the time. Okay. And I have started, so. self-care self-care more of that because what happens is you know my friends like you know they call and they ask me to do stuff um i used to four times a i'm sorry with four friends two times a year girlfriends we would take a trip and you know just because we had kids and we had husbands and you know we just didn't have time to do the girl thing and uh so we would twice a year take turns planning what kind of trip we were going to take. And it didn't, it didn't have to be an expensive one. Sometimes it was, you know, only 50 miles away and we rented a cabin and, you know, or sometimes we took tents and we took canoes and, you know, nature. that kind of stuff. Yeah. Oh, nature. Well, all of us are into nature. So that's what we always did. But, you know, we, we always chose different places so we could do hiking and, you know, Anyway. That's why I like, I like, uh, what's it called? Thermia. So Ashley and I will go to Thermia. It's like, you guys might have it there. It's like a, a full day spa where you can go to the spa. It's got hot tubs. It's got cold tubs. It's got cold splash. It's got marble. It's got hot things to sit in. It's got cold things to sit in. You can, it's, we go, no phones. That cold thing gets me. But it's good for the, it's good. It is. The, it yeah. Is, it is. I do it, but I don't like it. <laughs> it's, um, yeah, it's it's uh, that's where we we like to go, and and it's kind of like a reset spot. 
So we're able to reset there because it's just like all super quiet and it's, it's just, it's, it's, yeah. And I, yeah, I just, I, I, I like, <clears throat> I have to so have the a point real. Was, the point I was getting to make then was that um, when I come home from a, a 12 hour work day or a 16 hour work day and my husband's in bed already. He's been sleeping for six hours already, you know, so I don't have anybody to discuss my day and it's too late. You know, I'm not going to call my girlfriends and they work, you know, and have to get up in the morning, whatever. So those times I feel lonely, but it's not about anything I'm going through. It's just like, oh, gee, it'd be nice to have somebody to talk to once in a while. But I'm going to tell you something that I've learned. Now, this is totally separate. So if there's something, say, like the other day was my mom's birthday. And she's, yep. okay, it was her heavenly birthday, though. Oh. Um, and, you know, I, I couldn't get to the cemetery to take flowers that I wanted to when I wanted to. But all day long, I thought about her as I'm working, you know, should just pop into my mind and stuff. And by the end of the day, I mean, I got to do what I needed to do for myself. But by the end of the day, I thought, you know, not one of my kids called and said, hey, it's it's grandma's heavenly birthday. Are you doing okay? Or, you know, we used to like do a celebration of her life, you know, every year on that, but, you know, we quit doing that during the pandemic. So we didn't go back to it. That's one of the negative things. But anyway, so like that day, um, at the end of the day, it wasn't too late. It was like 830 when I got home. Um, but my husband was going to work late. So he wasn't there. And he never once that day, you know, called me and said, you know, hey, how you doing? I know this is, you know, the anniversary of your mom's. And um, I feel sorry for myself. I, I tried calling three friends just to talk to him because I just was really, really missing her that day. And oh, and everybody was busy. And now I got a lesson out of it. Like nobody, nobody would answer the phone. I got all the voicemails. Nobody called me back. And I cried. And then I prayed. And when I prayed, I got this peace over me. And the message I got was, there was nobody there because you were going to the wrong person. That's the message I got. Some people wouldn't, they don't have those kind of beliefs and that's okay. But that's the message I got. And I went, wow, I, I'm so glad I got that message. Yeah. Instead of feeling sorry for myself, I got, I got a different message that, hey, I'm right here. You can talk to me. So I did. That's, that's exactly, that's exactly it. I live in my grandfather's con in my grandfather's apartment. Yeah, I live in his bedroom, so I live in his place. That's where I he only passed away when he was 2018. I live here, so I, you know, I'm a believer. He's still around here. You know, yeah. my, my, my grandma, my grandma passed away on that couch over there. You know, so 
Um, well, I don't know, but that night there was a, a glow ball that came down the roof and through the window and out to the car and through that window and then disappeared. And I have no idea what it was, but it was, but it was kind of weird. It was kind of weird seeing uh, it. I'll, I'll wake up in, in the morning and the kitchen lights are on and I, I turn every light off. I'll wake up and the fan's on. Like, how does this stuff get? I, you know, when I first moved in here, I was, you know, what's going on? I just went, that's probably them. <laughs> Why? How else and where else and when would it come on? I don't know. And I don't want to think about it too much, but thank you for being around and, and telling me you're here because I love you guys still. <laughs> yeah, see, that doesn't scare me either. Um, my mom actually passed away on my son's second birthday, the youngest, my youngest. And I don't want to say that she had favorites, but I had a brother that passed, that died of SIDS when he was 18 months old. And apparently my youngest looked just like him. So when mom saw, you know, she was with me, you know, when I had him and when she saw him, she took an immediate, like this clingy thing to him. And she, I mean, the first thing she said to me was he looks so much like Michael, but she never saved any pictures of Michael. So I didn't, I didn't remember what he looked like. So, but she told me that my youngest and looked just like Michael and she made a point every single night to come over at bedtime and rock him. I didn't get to rock my own baby to sleep at night. She and she just showed up. She didn't ask or nothing. She just showed up and walked through the door and she knew what time I put him to bed. And that's when she showed up. And so anyway, um, she passed away on his second birthday. So and he was too young for me. I mean, she did ask me to bring him up to the hospital. And I tried well, I had his other grandma bring him up because I never left the hospital. But um, she brought him up, and as soon as he saw all the machines connected to her, he, like, started crying. And then my mom said, no, take him away. I don't want this. And he was too young to remember, and he doesn't remember her. But here's what happened. When he was five years old, he comes into my bedroom in the middle of the night, and he says, Mom, kept shaking me, Mom. I'm like, what? What's going on? He wasn't crying. He said, would you go tell that lady in my bedroom to quit waking me up or to talk to me if she's going to sit there in that chair. I'm like, what? And I had no idea. I thought he was like sleep talking, you know, but he, he's like, mom, please come tell her it's bugging me. He didn't say bugging. He said, it's starting to scare me because she wouldn't talk. So I went in there and it's so funny because the dog followed me. And apparently they can see. Um, and as soon as the dog got in the bedroom, started barking at the chair. So the only thing I could think of with what he was telling me was it has to be mom because she sat in that chair and rocked him every night. So she's probably there every night watching over him. And, you know, I didn't know about it, whatever, why she made herself known. I don't know. But so I just sat down and had a conversation with her and I said, look, um, I can see why you're wanting to make sure he's okay and it's okay with me if you come in here and visit, but don't scare him. Either don't make yourself known that you're there or when he says, talk to me, then talk to him. And my yeah. son looked at me and he said, you believe that? And I said, well, I don't know what else it could be, but so you just tell her what you want. 
<laughs> but don't be mean. And so, you know, it is, it is what it is. Some people would call me crazy. No, but, absolutely not. That's, that's actually real life. And, uh, and I don't think I did, you know, it's not like haunting. It's not scary. It's actually kind of a good feeling. Yeah. That their spirit is always still around us, helping us get through life. Yep. So, okay. One more question then for the end. And that is what has been your biggest life struggle? Myself. Yourself. Yeah. My biggest life struggle was, uh, and still is to this day, you know, getting to uh, be okay with Jay. So I, I'm okay with Jay. I love Jay, but Jay's always got to work on himself. So Jay's always got to learn. He's got to be humble. He's got to listen. He's got to be open. He's got to have a kind heart. He's got to have a kind heart for himself and other people, compassion. Uh, there's a prayer that I came up with that four months uh, in, in recovery. Uh, when I said I wanted to leave treatment and. Uh, Remember the prayer? Oh yeah. It's on my wall. God, give me the strength, courage, hope, and faith. Keep believing in me, trusting in me, having faith in me. Keep loving and caring about me unconditionally. Give me patience, tolerance, understanding, forgiveness, compassion, and acceptance of other people's struggles along with my own. Let me love myself, like myself, care about myself enough to move forward in a positive direction. Let me be comfortable with who I am and what I'm doing. Let me live in the day, the moment, to live on life's terms. My Lord, I turn my will and my life for the care of you today and guide me in my recovery. Never give up. Keep living the dream. That came out of me. Wow. Wow. And I woke up in the morning and for the first time in my life at four months, I saw a smile out of the corner of my mouth. Uh, and that was when I really, truly started working on myself. I've said that prayer from four months on. I say it every morning, God, please give me these things. And I say, thank you at the end of the day for all those things. Um, and I do, I got to have tolerance for myself, for other people. I got to have compassion and kindness. I got to be forgiveness of myself. I got to give forgiveness to other people. I got to I gotta love myself. Um, care about myself I, I gotta get to know myself I gotta get to know other people <clears throat> so it's uh that prayer has has been very powerful in uh, me being okay with me see now I found really important and I'm sorry that it's not in those 12 steps because I just personally feel like we need to forgive ourselves before we can forgive others so first thing you have to do, and that's where the that's where those programs do it backwards. Yeah. So you have to forgive yourself in order to actually forgive other people. You can't go out and forgive other people because then that gives you the excuse to go do what you need to do. Because all you're doing, if whatever kind of addiction you have, you're just looking for an excuse to do it. You're just looking for it. That's why it's that's why in this in the six sessions is thinking thoughts, patterns, triggers, series of events. Right. So the series of event is I'm going to land myself in any situation. So day, time, month, year, mom's anniversary. Nobody called me. That's why I felt that way. Right. I called. Nobody called me back. My kid. My, right. Boom. That's a series of events. That's a date. That's a thing that's in your mind. That's what happens. Mm -hmm. It's like pause, post-acute withdrawal syndrome, which means that you're go you go through withdrawal periods throughout your recovery, whatever you're recovering from. I didn't know I was dealing with that for 10 years. I dealt with that until I, you know, I actually, I tried taking my life at 10 years in recovery, um, tried hanging myself. But so the, I got introduced to AC 11. I'm sure you've heard of AC 11 cat's claw from the rainforest. So it helps on a DNA level. So we have damaged cells, right? I didn't know this. 
Right. I can't let myself open and see all the damaged cells. Like, I calculate, hi, how many cells are dead? And I don't know. But I was getting triggered from two weeks before Christmas to two weeks after my February 11, 2008 date. That would be the worst time in every single year. And I never understood why. And I kept saying to myself, it's always going to be like this. This is how it is. Get ready for it. You're going to go into depression. This is how you're going to feel. You're not going to feel good. It's going to be a shitty Christmas. Life sucks. You suck. Fuck it all sucks. That's how it is. Right. But once I understood what pause was, post-acute withdrawal something, and that's when I could identify and be aware of what was going on. And then I started taking AC11 in liquid form, which is highly absorbable. So I know that it's getting to me. For some reason or rather in 2019, I was like, when is the shoe going to drop? Why do I feel like, why do I feel better? Uh, and ever since 2019, I haven't had that period of time through that time. Uh, I don't every year. I'm not telling you every year is a good year, but it's not like that. Right. <laughs> um, and I still take AC 11 to this day. Good for you. Okay. Well, that was a good chat. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much. I You're really welcome. enjoyed it. And, um, I will probably, I'm going to edit. Yep. Um, well, and then I'll send you, I'll send you my, I'll send you my social stuff and then my websites and all that stuff. People can find us. Okay. So I just want to say thank you so much for sharing everything that you have with us. I think you've given some really good information out there for people. Um, the stuff that, how to contact you and all that, I will be putting in the description, the podcast, um, as soon as I get it from you, all of it. Um, I just want to thank you so much for what you're doing for other people and the people that you have working with you that are doing for others. We need so many more people like that in the world. So I really appreciate you. And we will probably hear yours next Wednesday. And that's another wrap. You know, it just amazes me every time I have somebody new on, I just feel so blessed that I am able to do this and reach out to so many people with all of the life struggles. Please help us by supporting us by taking this episode and all the other episodes that you've listened to rate us share it as much as possible to any and everybody that you know of that it could in some way help because that's what life struggles podcast is all about helping others with their life struggles see you next time